Welcome to the Circular Innovation Podcast. Join us as we dive deep and explore the concept of circular innovation and how it's reshaping brands, technology, and operations. Welcome to the show. You're listening to Circular Innovation. I'm your co-host, Richard Bliss, and I'm joined by my other co-hosts. Jess Schistler, co-founder and CEO of Maven Circular. And Nate Schistler, co-founder and chief Maven of Maven Circular. We've just been hanging out and getting to know each other really well and having a lot of fun talking about this circular innovation concept. Now, if you're listening and you haven't quite figured out what is circular innovation and the idea of re-commerce, I recommend you go back and listen at least to the first three episodes because we we dive deep into it there. In this case, though, just and I'm excited because we're going to talk about a term that that is kind of uh, has multiple meanings. And, I, and we're going to dive deep into the idea of building a team and a, and, a fun, and a process of functionality around the service offerings that a circular economy can provide. And the term that we're going to talk about in depth is this idea of an operator. Now, I got to admit, I have no idea what that is. You know, So I'm the ignorant yeah. person on the street corner that you're going to educate. So what is, Jess, Nate, yeah. what is an operator? Yeah, I'm going to share a little bit, you know, there's... There's a lot of different ways to define what an operator is. You know, some folks believe that an operator is exclusive to have boots on the ground in a warehouse, in supply chain, has picked, packed, and shipped um, product. But that's not, you know, the only level of operator there is. Yeah, I think we, when we say, you know, having an operator is a critical part of your team, what we really mean is the mindset of an operator, that that pragmatic um, and practical approach to solution design and, you know, process design and decision making. You don't necessarily have to have spent a career, you know, getting your hands dirty doing the work, even though, you know, there are advantages to having someone like that in your corner. Um, but when you look at a typical organization, you see that title of operations manager or operations, you know, kind of fill in the blank. Um, you see that thrown around pretty loosely where, you know, within the space of re-commerce, there is, a, there is an aspect to that work necessary to make re-commerce function as a channel that does require a, a pretty practical understanding of people, people management, people process management. And um, it's, it's really critical to have someone who understands that at, a, at an intimate level, you know, working in your corner to help get your program off the ground. And we really like to think of it as, you know, the problem solver within the um, intersections of product and operate and like warehousing. So often you have in in a corporate environment, you have like product operations, you have finance operations, you have warehouse operations. So they're all very different, but those roles use, there's some key ways of managing that is really important. Um, Some of it is, you know, the being able to build processes when you're considering up and downstream implications. That's like a key component of an operator. Um, and being able to read something and then action it. Um, Nate, what so, else do you have on that? Yeah, yeah right. Nate, I wanted to ask you about, because you've got some extensive experience on the warehouse side. The, mm-hmm. I think you referred to it as kind of the steel-toed boots experience. So 
let's talk about that advantage of that kind of experience uh, when it comes to this whole e-commerce and 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 uh, circular economy. What is happening at that warehouse that's so critical for those further up the the, the food chain, so to speak, that they need to be aware of? And that skill set, what what skill set is brought into the uh, the team from that area? Yeah, there's um, there's kind of an interesting uh, paradox, I guess. That that differentiates e-commerce from mainline, you know, retail and e-commerce operations in a warehouse, and that is because you are handling individual units, one unit at a time, you know, out of necessity. Um, modern warehousing technologies and assistive robots and and vision picking and AI decisioning, all these things that are like hot trends in the warehouse space. Um, those tools are not effective in e-commerce because those tools rely on the interchangeability of product. The, the red t-shirt problem I think we talked about in the last episode where, you know, two size large red t-shirts are interchangeable in a e-commerce warehouse or in a e-commerce operation, those two size large red t-shirts are often not interchangeable because they're different quality or different condition. And so you really have to have someone who's able to get back to the basics of that lost art of people and team management. And, you know, I often joke uh, amongst colleagues in, in the warehousing space that, um, you know, there's not too many differences between a, a warehouse and a, and a corrections facility or a prison. I mean, if you really think about it, it's, it's a, that's large, a terrible analogy. I don't terrible. know where you're going with that, but that's terrible. It's a terrible analogy, but, but just hang with me. It's a large building, very few windows, People are coming in and being, you know, motivated to do work that they might not otherwise want to do. And and when you really think about it, like there's some parallels there. You're, you're talking about an often minimum wage or low wage workforce. You're often talking about the challenge of adult learners because people are not coming out of, you know, you're not getting 18-year-olds coming out of college or 22-year-old college graduates you know, moving into a, a warehousing role, you're talking about adult learners in many cases. And all of those um, realities present a challenge when you contrast that with new technology, new process, new selling channel. And so th that divide between the top and the bottom of the supply chain is even greater in a e-commerce operation where it's really about motivating a team of people to do manual labor all day long in a warehouse environment, which is with accuracy, with accuracy. Yes. Yeah. So I can see, and now, okay, I'm going to concede a little bit. I still don't like the analogy, but I'm going to concede a little bit. What I, don't, saying, I don't love it, but yeah. I know, but I see what you're saying. That is in this case, you have a critical role that needs to be fulfilled and function, which means, and you identified this leadership, team management, Training, guidance, feedback, all of those things are a very basic human element that, that technology cannot solve here. And so having that experience of what it's like to work in that environment, I can see where you're coming from now, is that you need to understand that there are limitations. You can't just, and we talked about this last time, you can't just make this efficient. Correct. That, that the people involved and then turnover. I got to believe that in the warehouse yeah. that there is turnover as well, that retraining and you call them adult learning coming in, um, yeah. all of these to keep the sustaining it going. And back to an operator who's dealing with on the software level, way at the top, 
sort of, you know, at the top, what we're talking about in the process, they're not dealing with any of that, right? They're dealing with people who are highly skilled, uh, stable in their environment, doing this, know what they're doing and have done it for a long time. And so I can see why that, st- the reason I hesitated was because uh, initially it's like, well, what are you talking about? It doesn't sound hard. And that's a diss on my part, the fact that no, it, it's really hard. And it's it's the people and the process and bringing that together is a unique, powerful skill that needs to be present as an operator. And I think, this. Nate, you are famous for... I, and I'm well, gonna, just stop there. The, End of episode. Right. Reporting. Let's stop you know, that. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get it right. So I'll, I'll start it and then you'll finish it. But it's, you know, it's not a small, it's not a smart or dumb conversation yes. here. It's, yeah. it, can you, can you remind yeah, me that is? <laughs> um, we alluded, I think two episodes ago to uh, a software company that we were working with that had built a really cool piece of warehouse tech, but it required the use of case sensitive input, right? Uppercase and lowercase. And what we have learned over the years is that there's a, um, there's a pretty predictable, like archetype when we engage with a new client that we can, I can almost tell like if we're going to have this problem or not, where that they, they think that it's a, and I have a lot of friends and colleagues and clients in this space. So I I say this with all due respect, but they're really smart people. And they think that because they're really smart, that building technology for a warehouse and running a warehouse must be easy because warehouses can be run by people with high school diplomas. You don't have to have a master's degree. Education. Yeah. Computer science to be successful at running a warehouse. And so they think that it's a smart and not smart problem or a more smart and less smart problem by some arbitrary standard. And and what you find is that in the warehousing space where it's really people leadership and people motivation and pragmatism and problem solving, first of all, formal education is likely irrelevant. You know, and, and I'll give you a really specific example here. Um, I sit on the advisory board for the Ohio University College of uh, department of management within the college of business. And so these are students 18 to 22, 23 years old who are going to school to learn how to become managers and leaders in businesses of various industry. And without a doubt, the same, the advice I give them every single time I'm in front of a group of students is whatever your, your field of interest is, go to a company in that field and get a job, get an entry-level job. Don't skip over that entry-level work because you're, you know, you're coming out at 22 or 23 years old with this really great college education. Don't devalue the importance of the person who's at the bottom of the supply chain and whatever your field is. If you're interested in financial, you know, in finance operations, go to a CPA and say, you know, will you hire me to do taxes? And they will say, absolutely. We, we always need people to help do taxes in the spring, you know, whatever your field is. And, um, yeah, it's, it's not a, and you will find out through that experience, it's not an educated or uneducated or a smart and less smart problem. There's this other like skill set that I kind of generically refer to as being an operator that is rooted in the understanding of people and how they function, how to motivate them to get work done in an often difficult environment. 
I like that. That's a you. I think you've got you've got me listening. I see we got Jess listening. I bet you got our audience listening too, because I'm thinking about an experience. I'm going to share a slight story. Maybe we cut this out, but I was in software for many years. I took 35,000 phone calls as a support operator for software. And we had a problem where the customers were using the software differently than the engineers designed it. Mm-hmm. And it was a really a simple thing. And we took it up the food chain because I was, in your case, an operator. I am on the phone with these customers working through this problem over and over and over again. And the, de- and the developers are like, no, the customer's wrong. They need to behave this way. Back to your <laughs> capitalization issue. Yeah. So here's what, how, you know how I, I fixed it. And the way I fixed it is I went and found the head developer during lunch in the men's locker room. And I'm sitting next to him. You got towels around yourself. You're talking. And, he's like, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I support this product. Now, he doesn't know that I know that he's the head developer on that product. Well, how's <laughs> yeah. it been going? Well, it's been going great, except for we've got this one problem that just keeps coming up. And I described it to him, nonchalant, said goodbye, left. Next day, boom, software product was fixed. <laughs> product release, software was fixed. Your point is well made, though, is that sometimes at the top of the design process, when it gets all the way down to the operator level, there's connect, unless you understand how that operator is going to be functioning with that. Now, this idea of operator, then, as we take it through the process, there are operators at different levels. Jess, you've operated at a different level as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, there's definitely the element of the user experience. When we partner with technologists, it's what is the user experience and how are they going to do their job in the simplest way through a technology. And that's really how we encourage the um, like requirements when it comes to business finance or business requirements on designing something is, you know, what is the user experience and where does that fit into the operation and the statement of work that needs to get completed? Yeah. I, I feel like um, we should rename this to the, like all of the cliches that I know podcast. So another cliche is like the, the one of, um, you know, water, um, water takes the path of least resistance or something along those lines. Water always finds the like path of least resistance. And what an operator, in my opinion, is good at is anticipating that path of least resistance. So Richard, what you're talking about where the, you know, the customer was using the software in an unintended way, the customer through that, you know, body of the power of a large group of people using the same tool, they found a new and novel way to use something. And I would argue that that was a path of less resistance than the way the engineers intended it for it to be. Absolutely. And and another word for that, which is really unpopular in the corporate world is workarounds, but it's yeah. what you're really talking about is a workaround and the customers found a workaround it. And, and in a warehouse setting, um, the more manual the process is, the more susceptible it is to workarounds, you know, uh, as a, as opposed to, um, you know, we do a lot of work with DHL supply chain, really incredible organization kind of at the forefront of, you know, 3PL logistics. And when you go into some of these new facilities that they're building, the pickers and the packers and the warehouse workers in those facilities, all the decision-making is, is essentially taken away and they just follow the robot and they pick the thing that the robot tells them to pick. And their only job is to like select the thing out of the bin and put it and hand it to the robot. Like that's literally what picking is in some of these warehouses. It's incredible. 
and and eventually we'll have a mechanical technology that's good enough to you know articulate and manipulate and grab product of various sizes but in an apparel setting that, that's really difficult to do but in in a e-commerce warehouse there's so much decision making that is taking place at the level of the warehouse associate and it's very operations intensive and very like training and process intensive and there are some enabling technologies that will eventually be able to take some of that away but because each piece is unique and each decision that you make about that piece is unique, um, that operator's mindset of understanding, you know, how is the warehouse going to start to work around the constraints of the solution? And let's just anticipate those workarounds and build them into our solution from the get-go. And I'm going to share one thing that in the theme of Nate sharing uh, things (laughs) that are kind of frowned upon is, you know, having a solution that is as Fisher-Price as possible. Yeah. So you have you know, a drop down. So you have to fill in that field before you go to the next stage in, you know, whatever format is in the technology or, you know, taking out as much as possible anything that you have to manually type because there's going to be spelling issues or there's going to be the capital versus the not capital um, issue. So, you know, really driving the um, design around making the user have a, a simple and least error prone <laughs> Um, way to navigate, you know, a solution. Pictures, colors, scanning, minimal keyboard input, minimal language required in the process. You know, we live in, in a multicultural and multilingual country, um, and the workforce at, you know, the warehouse level is incredibly diverse. And so, the more language um, that is part of your process and your technology offering, if you're building technology for warehouses, um, you know, the right. more language has to be translated. So less is more. I, I kind of look at them as friction points, all of these little friction points, right? Every time there's a friction point, you have the potential for it being stopped or diverted or a workaround. Yep. And so these are critical. So as we wrap up here in the last couple of minutes, Maven Circular comes in, you don't own the warehouse. No. Right. But you don't own the process. Where is the Maven Circular role in this operator discussion? Yeah, I think what we bring to the table is we bring representation of that muse of the arp of the operator from both ends of the spectrum. Jess has really deep experience in corporate operations, finance operations, and you know, understanding how to lead and manage and you know, motivate teams in that setting. And in contrast, my experience has almost exclusively been in warehousing and supply chain operations. So starting from the ground up, you know, being in college, loading trucks at UPS, you know, at night, I ate my way through college and, and then following that through my career in supply chain and I was a consultant. And so what we bring to the table when engaged by a brand or frankly, like we love working with technology companies because they all tend to have this same problem. Um, you know, to take a page out of the like project manager's handbook, there's the project manager's triangle of like time, cost, and scope, right? And everyone knows that have a successful project or build a successful product that has to be, you know, on time and under budget and within the scope. But everyone tends to forget what's in the middle of that project manager's triangle, which is, does the solution conform to requirements and is it fit for use? Fit for use is the one I think if you were to quiz a hundred project managers and technology 
that would be the one that's like most commonly forgotten about is what does it mean for something to be fit for use? And we have a really intimate understanding through our shared experience of anticipating that path of least resistance to make sure that a solution is fit for use, to, to anticipate the needs of the warehouse associate or the needs of the consumer if we're talking about building a storefront experience. Um, or even the accuracy of yeah. the data flowing from one system to another. Yep. The needs of that system integration between multiple parties and making sure that everyone is collectively speaking the same language um, and there's no gotchas. Sometimes the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. Yes. Discuss Thank you, in. Mr. Spock. Yeah, I had to slip it in. All right. This has been great. <laughs> uh, what a great conversation. Thank you again. This has always been fun. As we wrap up, I want to tell our audience, thank you for listening. We've been talking about operators, the whole process, particularly the skill set and requirement and the importance of having experience at that warehouse level as you're looking at your e-commerce and uh, circular economy. You've been listening to Circular Innovation, the podcast where we're talking about the circular economy. My co-hosts, Jess and Nate, have joined me as we've been talking about this. Thanks for listening. Make sure to take time for our next episode. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Circular Innovation Podcast. Join us again as we continue to explore and unravel the complexities of circular innovation.